Radio's my Christian brothers and sisters because we've got a lot to cover today. Be encouraged. Oh my. Be challenged. Oh my. Be inspired. They need gassed up. They need reviewed. And get excited. It's a relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who loves with an everlasting, unconditional love. Your love. Praise the Lord. God's wisdom is brilliant. And receive God's love. That's who and what He is. Release your worries. He's faithful. God is faithful. And receive God's truth. These commands that I give to you today, impress them upon your children and talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. This is the Get Excited Show. Everybody in the family needs it. Now, with Michael Coffer. Get excited, world! Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! Oh, get excited! Oh, I hope you are just absolutely, incredibly feeling great. Because I am. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in today to the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast on the Roan Doff Show. Today, I have a show for leaders. So all the leaders out there, or if you want to become a leader... And you've just been thinking and trying to contemplate what book you should purchase. Well, guess what? You don't have to purchase any book. Just listen to the Get Excited show on the Roan Dolph show. That's right. Listen as you have. If you're tuned in, you did the right thing. The Michael Crawford Get Excited show podcast on the Roan Dolph show is directed towards the godly leaders. As a matter of fact, my title today is How a Godly Leader Handles Opposition. How a Godly Leader Handles Opposition. Based on, now if you want to follow me in the Bible, for all of you that are home or in the office, however you're listening to me on a pod, uh, this podcast, if it's a computer or iPhone or laptop, doesn't matter, just turn it up. Turn it up. Don't want you to miss this one. Based on Nehemiah, and for you all that can put, pull your Bibles out and open them up, open them up to Nehemiah chapter 4. And follow with me on chapter 4, verses 1 through 23. Verses 1 through 23 in Nehemiah. How a godly leader handles opposition. Now, I honestly strongly feel that this will really help. And I know. Because I was, I either ran or owned automobile dealerships for 42 years. And so, it was very important for me to be a leader. Not a boss, but a leader. So today, I want to direct this podcast to people that want to be a godly leader. This, I think, has a lot of nuggets in it for you. So, without any further ado, let's get started. Again, thank you so much for tuning in to the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast on the Roan Dolph Show. Today, how a godly leader handles opposition. Based on, as I told you, Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 23. Now, how many, how many that have tuned in today has ever heard of it or had a project, I should say, have you had a project you really wanted to complete or something you really felt called to do? How many? But opposition stood in the way. So how many tuned in today? I want you to think about that, really contemplate that, kind of set the stage here. That you really had something you had to do. You really wanted to complete it. Okay? But opposition stood in the way. How many that's tuned in have ever been in a situation like that? All right, let me ask you. 
how did you handle it? How did you handle it? How did you handle the opposition? Did you panic? Did you get uptight? Did you lose your temper? Did you blow up? Did you get discouraged? Did you give up? What did you do? There's an acronym in football for all of you out there that know Michael Crawford that have tuned in. You know I just love football. The Kansas City Chiefs, baby. Woo! We're going to the Super Bowl again for the third straight year, so you better get excited. Kansas City. I'm going to go on the, out on the limb right now and just say Patrick Mahomes, the rock star that he is, is going to take Kansas City to the Super Bowl again. But anyway, the acronym in football called YAC. Y-A-C. YAC. And YAC stands for Yards After Contact. And so YAC is the statistic that actually measures the yards that a running back makes after he takes his first hit by an opponent. And so it measures their ability to keep moving forward, to keep driving towards the goal line, even after they've been hit. Now, my dear Christian brothers and sisters, that's one of the marks of a great running back, right? When they get hit, they don't stop. No, I know, because I was a running back. They don't throw the ball down and quit. They don't, you know, grumble up on the, you know, ground and cry. And, and, and they don't turn around and start running the opposite direction, hoping to get away from their opponents. No. When a great running back gets hit, they keep moving. They keep churning. They keep driving their legs towards the goal line. And if they fall, they fall forward. Why? Because they're great running backs. They're great running backs. Know that yak, yards after contact, is what makes the difference between a, run, a winning and a losing. I mean, it's the difference between winning and losing. And hear this. Turn that volume up. Great godly leaders know the same truth. Did you hear that? Great godly leaders know the same truth. They know that when an opponent strikes and adversity hits, that they need to keep driving. They need to keep pushing. They need to keep going in the direction that God's called them to go. Why? Because they know. It can be the difference between winning and losing. So now today, right here on the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast, today we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 4. So again, if you want to follow along with me, get your Bibles out to Nehemiah chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at how a godly leader handles opposition. I think it's very appropriate, very well-designed in Nehemiah 4 on how a godly leader handles the opposition. And we can all pick up a lot of pointers on this to be great leaders. But before we do that, let me do quick remind us of kind of where we are, okay, in this book. I need to kind of set the stage. So before we get going, let me, let me do that because that way, you know, people can actually, you know, I really want to promote this podcast and I want people out there to say, look, uh, you really need to listen to the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast because Michael really breaks down. Um, he really breaks down exactly kind of where they are. I mean, where he is in the podcast. You follow me? I mean, I want to. I want to set the stage. I really do. I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. We all make sure that we know exactly. Uh, you know, what we're talking about and what the tasks are, etc. So just a quick reminder of kind of where we are, you know. God has given Nehemiah. Now turn the volume up. I want you to get this. You gotta I'm setting the stage, setting the cadence for the beginning of how a godly leader handles opposition. God had given Nehemiah one task, 
One project, one task, one project to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. Now, I know to some of you that are listening, that doesn't sound very spiritual, right? To build a wall. It just doesn't sound spiritual. But that's God's task. Hear me now. That's God's task. That's God's will for Nehemiah's life. So he begins where every great godly leader begins. He begins on his knees in prayer. Amen. Then he begins to plan, and then he begins to organize, and then he begins to get the people working. And it's then, shortly after he gets the people working, the opposition hits. The opposition hits. And so I want us to start right there. I want us to start right here with the opposition. And I want us to look at three things about the opposition. One, I want to look at the tactics of the opposition. Two, I want to look at the effects of the opposition. And three, I want to, you know, how a godly leader really handles this opposition and basically what the I kind of titled this teaching preach on, okay? Or the, the right response to the opposition. Now, first, the tactics of opposition. And there are three mentioned in this text. So if you're following along with me in Nehemiah 4, you'll see this. It starts off with, you know, let's look at uh, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and, and was greatly incensed. And he was what? And he what? He ridiculed the Jews. My Christian brothers and sisters, hear me now. Turn up that volume. Don't miss this. Sanballat ridiculed a powerful, which is a powerful tool of the opposition. I mean, that's something that's so frequently used, okay, with those negative toxic people that ridicule, you know, that, that's the opposition. I mean, isn't it? I mean, it's a really powerful tool. I mean, look at the barrage of ridicule you and I were kind of exposed to with all the stuff that they try to denounce on Donald Trump. We were all, us conservative Christians, I mean, think about that. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. Or what about the scores of uh, uh, books we have online that teach us how to psychological, you know, to do psychological warfare in the marketplace or how to step on our co-workers to climb the ladder of success or how to psych out our competition. My Christian brothers and sisters, ridicule is a powerful tool because it attacks our self-worth. And so we use it to destroy people. Now notice, notice the motive. It says in verse 1 that Sanballat became very angry and greatly incensed. Brothers and sisters, the fact is, ridicule is a substitute for reason. It's a substitute for reason. Now hear this. Turn their volume up. If people can't reason you out of your position, then many times they will try to ridicule you out of your position. Why? Because they're afraid you're going to succeed. They're afraid you're going to succeed, and that's exactly why Sanballat calls the Jews feeble. And he belittles their abilities and beliefs because he's afraid they're going to succeed. Now, look at verse 3. Ridicule is contagious. Ridicule is contagious. After Sanballat gets the, the ball rolling, uh, Tobiah, his sidekick, okay, jumps on board and says, Hey guys, what do these Jews think they're building? Why? If I mean, really, if a fox climbed up on their rickety little wall, the stones would come tumbling down. Now, Let's push the pause button for a moment. Just for a moment. Let's push the pause button there for a moment. Because I want you to notice something about Tobiah's ridicule. My Christian brothers and sisters, don't miss this. He's making the same stupid, idiotic mistake 
that many others down through the time have made. He's looking at this project from a solely human perspective. In other words, he thinks that this is Nehemiah's project, and that is the people's project, and, and that these are their walls and their plans and their arrangements, but they're not. But they're not. Hear me now. Don't miss this. They're gods. They are gods. They are gods. But Tobiah never considers that possibility. Have you ever been there? Really, for everyone that's tuned in today to the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast, let me ask you, have you ever been there? Really? Have you ever actually stood against God because your heart and mind wasn't open to see what God was doing? Has that ever happened? Has it ever happened in your life, personal, in your personal life or in your business life? How about in your school life? We definitely know it happened in the elections. My Christian brothers and sisters, that's exactly where Tobiah is at. He not only, you know, he's not only open to see what God is doing. And so when Sandballot starts the ridicule, he just chimes right in like it's nothing. My Christian brothers and sisters, ridicule is the first tactic of opposition. And the second is resistance, organized resistance. Let's look at verse 6. We built the wall until it reached half of its height, and the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to the wall of Jerusalem had gone away, had gone ahead, excuse me, and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. And they were, then they all plotted together to come and to, to fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. My Christian brothers and sisters, this is really pathetic. It really breaks my heart reading this, but it, there's so many great nuggets in this verses that, that I can talk about. And really, hopefully that it helps all of us in our leadership role, especially putting the word godly in front of leadership. I mean, really, the opposition has really gotten organized here. They really have. They've gotten organized, and so now instead of just a uh, you know, few critics throwing pot shots here and there, now there's a full-blown conspiracy against them. The opposition has gotten organized. And by the way, you may have noticed that negative people tend to gravitate together. I mean, it's kind of like birds of a feather. They what? They flock together. <laughs> and you can see that here. Can you not? You can see that here. Now, there's a third tactic of opposition that's used over in verse 11 and 12. And that's rumor. Rumor. Look at verse 11. Also, our enemies said, before they know it, and before they see us, we'll be right there among them. And we'll work to kill them and put an end to their work. My Christian brothers and sisters, what's the quickest way to spread a rumor? The quickest way. It's to feed on people's fears, right? It's to feed on their fears, and, and that's exactly what they're doing here. They're saying, hey, you know what? We are going to attack you, and you're not going to know when or where. But when we do, you're all going to die. Now, the fact is, they were not strong enough to do that. But the mere rumor was enough to cause true panic among the Jews. I mean, think about it. If there are people saying they are going to sneak up and kill you, that's pretty scary stuff, isn't it? And it's the kind of stuff that some terrorist you know, we're using right here in America, okay, 
Honestly, back when the uh, elections was going on, some of the, the voters, I mean, if you don't vote this way or if you don't do this or that, we're going to kill you. I mean, pretty scary stuff. There's actually, you know, places, you know, precincts around the country that they had that stuff. I mean, it's crazy. And now, let me give you two characteristics of rumors. They are always spread, always spread by those closest to the enemy. Those Jews who live near them. And my Christian brothers and sisters, what happens when you're surrounded by negative people? You get negative. You get infected. Okay? That's exactly what happened here. The Jews who lived outside the city, nearest the enemy, became negative. They got infected by the opposition. Now, the point is, if Satan can get somebody inside of the camp to start saying it can't be done, really, you know, you know I, it, it can't be done, then he's won a major victory. So he wants to infiltrate the ranks. You get it? And rumors are always spread by those closest to the enemy. Rumors are, rumors, excuse me, are exaggerated. The more they're repeated, they're exaggerated. The more they're repeated. You follow me? And in verse 12 says, Then they told us ten times over. I mean, think about that. Just like I said. The more they're repeated and exaggerated, okay, it becomes even stronger. I mean, really. Ten times over. What happens when a rumor is repeated ten times over? It becomes exaggerated and stretched and manipulated. And, and what else happens? People start to believe it. People start to believe it. And I think it was Hitler who discovered it first, right? If you tell a lie long enough and often enough, people are going to start believing it. And that's what's happening here. The point is, the negative always gets exaggerated in a project. And here's a law of leadership. Hear me now. Turn the volume up. For all of you out there that's tuned in that really wants to become a great godly leader, listen to this. A great law of leadership, leaders don't swallow rumors. Leaders don't swallow rumors. Leaders don't. They may listen to them. They may chew on them, but they never swallow them. Why? Because they're often filled with half-truths and exaggerations. Now, those are the three tactics of opposition. So now let's look at the effect of opposition. Let's do that. Let's kind of look at that. So turn with me. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. Ten, verses 10 and 11 says, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies will attack. Now, my Christian brothers and sisters, what happens? What happens when you're working hard and your strength is giving out and then somebody comes along and they start bombarding you with ridicule, rumor, and resistance? What happens? You get discouraged, right? You get down. That's the effect of opposition. Discouragement. And when discouragement is most likely to occur, let's look at verse 6 again. Let's redo, uh, look at verse 6. We rebuilt the wall until all of it reached half of its height. Do you know when discouragement usually comes? It usually comes at the halfway point, when you're halfway through the project, when you're halfway up the hill, when you're halfway through life. That's called, what? A midlife crisis. A midlife crisis. Discouragement usually comes at the halfway point. Let me quickly give you four causes of discouragement that are revealed in this text. I really love it. 
great text in this Nehemiah for leadership. First, fatigue. It says the strength of the laborers is giving out. Now, my Christian brothers and sisters, they're working long, hard hours. They're pulling double duty. They're tired and they're fatigued. Second is the frustration that makes them discouraged. Second is they, they really, that, that frustration factor sets in and they really adds to the discouragement. It says that there was so much rubble, so much rubble. Evidently at this point, they already used up all the good stone. And so now there's nothing left but rubble to work with. And so they're frustrated. A sense of failure, they said. We cannot rebuild the wall. We cannot do it. My Christian brothers and sisters, <laughs> we're tired, you know. And, and I mean, really, when you're tired and frustrated, everything looks impossible, doesn't it? Doesn't it? It does to me. Everything, when, you know, when I'm fatigued, I'm exhausted. I'm like, <laughs> even as positive as Michael Crawford is, it's like, oh, can I do it? Can I get it done? I mean, really. And I always kind of revert to like Vince Lombardi. Good old Vince. Vince Lombardi used to say, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. And he was right. He was right. So there was fatigue, frustration, a sense of failure. And the fourth thing, cause of discouragement was fear. Fear. They said the enemies will attack us. They're afraid. They're scared. It's a hideous surrounding. Now, the opposition always has two goals. Always remember this. Write this down. One of them is to hinder God's work. And the other one is to stop God's work. Those are in verses 8 and 11. They want to hinder it and stop it. And so with that in mind, what is the right response to opposition? I mean, what do you do? What do you do when you're under attack? Well, the first thing Nehemiah did, the first thing he did was he prayed, amen? In other words, he relied on God. Rely on God. Rely on God. And let's look at verses 4 and 5. This is Nehemiah's prayer. Hear, O God, for we're despised. Turn their insults back over their heads. And give them over their plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. They have thrown insults in the face of your builders. In other words, he says, God, these guys make me sick. They're standing against you. They're standing against you, God, your project, and they think they can get away with it. Lord, don't let it happen. Do something here, Lord. Do something. You see, my Christian brothers and sisters, I want us to notice two things here. First, Nehemiah is red hot. I hope you can comprehend that. He is boiling over, right? I mean, red hot. He's ticked off. He's upset. And he's telling God exactly what he's thinking and exactly how he's feeling. And so you say, Michael Crawford, should we do that when we get angry? <laughs> should we tell God exactly what we're thinking and exactly how we're feeling? You know my answer is to you, brothers and sisters? Absolutely. Absolutely you take it to God and you tell him how you feel. I mean, my Christian brothers and sisters, you and I need to learn from that. We really do. We need to learn from that. I mean, when you and I are being attacked or ridiculed, and we've got all these emotions bubbling up inside of us. Don't repress them or, or suppress them, but confess them. Did you hear that? Confess them to God. 
confess them to God. But then, just like Nehemiah, leave it with God. Leave them with God. And that's the second thing I want us to notice. Notice that after Nehemiah confesses his feelings before God, he doesn't run out and start attacking those who attacked him. No! He doesn't start mocking them and putting them down. No! He doesn't start saying, you feeble, worthless Samaritans. No! He doesn't do any of those kind of things. Why? Well, it's very simple. In Proverbs chapter 26, verse 4. Write this down. Learn from this. Proverbs 26, 4 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you'll be like him yourself. You'll be like him yourself. In other words, don't answer insult with insult, because if you do, then you're no better than the guy or gal who's insulting you. Instead of people, people are taking pot shots at you. Then do what Nehemiah did. Rely on God and pray. Go to your knees and pray. That's Nehemiah's automatic response to trouble, isn't it? Whenever there's a problem, we've seen it over and over again, he drops to his knees and he prays. And by the way, the greater the opposition, the more you and I need to pray. There's no if, ands, or buts. <laughs> we do. We need to stay a lot longer in our prayer closets. And here's the leadership law. Hear me now. Write this down. Here's the leadership law. When you're ridiculed, don't take it out on people. Take it out with God. Take it out with God. My Christian brothers and sisters, that's what Nehemiah does. When the ridicule comes, he goes to God and he keeps on rebuilding the wall. You see, turn the radios up. Turn the radios up. I want you to hear this. Ridicule can never stop you from doing what you're doing. It can never stop you from doing what you're doing unless you let it. Unless you let it. And Nehemiah wouldn't let it. Instead, he prays and he stays focused on what God has called him to do. Step two, respect the opposition. Hear me now. Respect the opposition. And now, how do we know that Nehemiah respected the opposition? Well, let's take a look at verse 9. Look at verse 9, all of you that are tuned in that have your Bibles open to Nehemiah 4. Verse 9, but we what? We prayed to our God. And we what? We posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. My Christian brothers and sisters, that's what I call good, healthy respect. Because they did two things. They prayed and they posted a guard. They prayed and they posted a guard. In other words... They did the prayerful thing, and they did the practical thing. They did them both at the same time. You follow me in sequential order. Pray first, first, then do the practical thing. I mean, you see, it's good. It is. It's good to lay in bed at night and pray. God, protect us from burglars. But then you and I need to get up. Get up out of that bed and lock the doors, don't we? I mean, seriously. We need to lock our doors. Why? Because petition, petition, without precaution, is presumption. Without precaution is presumption. And so rely on God by lifting your concerns through prayer. But also respect the opposition by getting prepared. And my brothers and sisters, the greater the opposition, the greater the preparation. Now, I want you to notice that in verse 9, verse 9 tells us who was praying. It says, we prayed, we prayed. Now, let me ask you, 
Who's been doing all the praying in this book up to this point? Who? Nehemiah, right? Nehemiah. Nehemiah. He's been doing all the praying. But who's praying now? Who is praying now? Everybody is. Everybody. Come on now, get excited. Why? Because they have been watching their leader. They've been watching their leader, Nehemiah. You see, leaders lead by doing. Hear me now. Don't miss this out there. Leaders lead by doing. They Not simply by talking. Hear me now. You hear me say all the time, don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. And for four chapters, Nehemiah has been doing. He's been praying for four chapters. And finally, the people get the idea. And they say, hey, this is working. God really does hear us. And so they start praying. And so if you want other Christians to follow your lead, then start on your knees. Start on your knees. Nehemiah's constant prayer life affected these people. And because of that, they prayed. And they posted a guard. Next, when you're under attack, number three is kind of reinforce your weak points. It's very significant to do that. Reinforce your weak points. So let's look at verse 13. Verse 13, it says, Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. My Christian brothers and sisters, do you see what he's doing here? He's strategically reinforcing his weak points, the lower points of the wall. Question, do you know what the weak points are in your ministry? Do you? Do you know what the weak points are in your family? Do you know what the weak points are in your personal life? And do you know where you're most open for attack? Do you? For example, are you open for attack through the internet, through internet porn? I mean, my Christian brothers and sisters, that's a huge problem these days, male and female alike. If so, get a filter. Get a filter. Get an accountability partner. Join a group. Reinforce, reinforce that area. Or maybe you're a married couple and your relationship is under attack. Your relationship's under attack because of some emotional or a physical attraction to some other person. That could happen. So, cut it off. Cut it off with that other person. Set up some solid boundaries. And then reinforce your relationship with your spouse by making time and setting up date nights and doing some weekends alone together and going to marriage retreats and doing some consult, consult, counseling together. My Christian brothers and sisters, I can't you know, emphasize this enough. Whatever you have to do to reinforce your covenant relationship with your spouse, do it. Put your Nikes on and just do it so it won't happen again. The leadership law, the leadership law is this. Good leaders know where they're vulnerable and they reinforce that area. Good leaders know where they're vulnerable and they reinforce that area. Now let's look at verse 16. Verses 16. Verse 16. This is how Nehemiah kind of reinforces you know, the, the, the work God has called him to do. It says, from this day, from this day on, Half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears and bows and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah were building the wall. Those who carried materials did the work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Each of the builders wore his sword and at his side as he worked. But the man who kind of surrounded the trumpet stayed with me. 
I said to the nobles and the officials, the, the work is extensive and, and spread out and, and we're widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there and our God will fight for us. Do you ever get chills? For all of you that's tuned in to the Michael Crawford Get Excited show podcast, do, do you get chills? I just got chills from the top of my head to my toes. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpets, join us there. And our God will fight for us. My Christian brothers and sisters, Nehemiah is in a terrible situation here. I mean, the walls are only half built. They have, you know, gaping holes in them. The people are spread out all over the city. And he's facing the threat of attack. And he has no trained army. None. And so what does he do? Well, in a true God-given stroke of genius, he turns the entire city into an armed camp. Where everybody does two things. They work and they carry a weapon. They work and they carry a weapon. Here's the principle. Catch it. It's important for you to catch this. So please, hope you have your piece of paper out or pencil or pen and you write this down. Every time you start building for God, you're asking for a battle. Never forget that. If one thing I've learned from my best friend and producer, Tony Escobar, he always says how the enemy hates me. He hates me. Why? He hates me because... Every time you start building for God, you're asking for a battle. So you say, okay, Michael Crawford, what do you mean by that? Why don't you elaborate, Michael Crawford, as you always say, because I don't really get that. Well, my dear Christian brothers and sisters, if you start building your marriage, you're asking for a battle. If you start building your spiritual life, you're asking for a battle. If we, as brotherhood, as a friendship, if we start building a true bond, of godly bond, not just a fleshly bond, but a godly bond, we are asking for a battle. Why? Because Satan doesn't want to see the things of God built up. And so he gets people to oppose you. Now here's the law. Leaders must be prepared to build and battle at the same time. They do. They've got to be prepared to build and battle at the same time. If you and I are going to be a part of building God's kingdom in this world, then we need to be prepared to build and battle at the same time because there's always going to be somebody to oppose us. Always. Now notice Nehemiah's building and battle plan in verse 13. He says, I stationed some of the people at the lowest points of the wall, posting them by what? By families. Now, why in the world? Why in the world... Did he post them by families? Why did Nehemiah do that? Well, for one, he knows people, right? And he knows that people are going to fight harder when they're defending their own families. When they're defending their moms and their dads, their sisters and their brothers and their sons and their daughters, they're going to fight harder when they're defending their own family. And two, Nehemiah stationed them by families because he knew. He knew that when you and I are under attack more than any other time, we need support. We do. It's very significant. And we need people we can count on to see us through. The principle is never fight a battle alone. Never, ever fight a battle alone. Instead, when you're facing opposition, get support. Get help. My Christian brothers and sisters, it's tough to be a faithful Christ follower in the, in the business world. It really is. I mean, isn't it? It is. And it's tough being a faithful Christ follower at school, isn't it? It's tough being a faith follower, Christ follower in a society where everything says don't live for Christ and don't live for others. Live for yourself. 
you and I need support, and we do. And that's one of the purposes, honestly, of why I'm doing what I'm doing. God has blessed me way, way beyond my education. But he's allowed me now to be able to just do a podcast and devote my whole life to doing works for the Lord, being that soldier for God. Honestly, as a matter of fact, 58 times, write this down. 58 times the scripture talks about that. It says, love one another, support one another, encourage one another, teach one another, admonish one another, build another one up, etc., etc. 58 times. And so, join a group, start a group, join a ministry, or start a ministry, serve, make Sunday morning worships at whatever church you go to a regular, true, regular part of your week. Find a way to bless others where you live, work, study, and play. It's so important to do that. I'm telling you, my Christian brothers and sisters, partner with others and, and make a difference where you're at. You see, God never meant for us to, to be Lone Rangers. Never. No. He meant for us to encourage one another and, and love one another and build one another up and, and support one another. And so don't try to fight the fight alone. Don't do that. Rely on God. Really. Number one, let me just tell you. I'll just repeat this. Number one, rely on God. Number two, respect the opposition. Number three, you reinforce your weak points. And number four, the fourth thing a leader does is to reassure the people. Reassure the people. Reassure the people. So let's look at verse 14. Look at Nehemiah 14, 1.14. After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid. Remember, the Lord is great and awesome. Fight for your brothers and your daughters and your homes. What's he doing here? What's Nehemiah doing here? He's rallying the troops. He is rallying the troops. He's relieving their fears. He's reinforcing their confidence. He's raising their morale. He says, don't be afraid. Then he gives them three words to renew their confidence. He said, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. And catch this. The word he uses here for the Lord means almighty, all-powerful one. Almighty, all-powerful one. In other words, he's saying, I want you to look back. I want you to look back and I want you to remember. I want you to remember who God is. And I want you to remember what God has done for you. Why? Because he wants them to remember how God released their forefathers from bondage in Egypt. He wants them to remember how God parted the Red Sea so they could walk across on dry land. He wants them to remember how God led them with a, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He wants them to remember how God for 40 years gave them food and water in the desert. He wants them to remember how God kept their clothes and sandals from wearing out. He wants them to remember how God returned them to their own land as he promised. He wants them to remember how God has provided all they needed to rebuild the wall. And Nehemiah says, remember, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Now, what's Nehemiah doing here? He's directing their focus. He's directing their focus to the right place to give them encouragement and hope. He says, remember the Lord. In other words, get your eyes off the molehill, the opposition, and start focusing on the mountain, on the almighty, all-powerful God of the universe. 
who is going to fight for you. He says, focus on him. My Christian brothers and sisters, that's the job of a leader. To the point that way, to reassure the people, to refocus them on God. And so once Nehemiah does this, he lays down the challenge. He says, fight. Fight for your brothers and sisters, for your sons and your daughters, and for your wives and for your homes. He challenges them to fight for everything they hold dear and near. Now let's look at verse 19. Let's look at verse 19. If your Bible's open, Nehemiah uh, 1, 19, he said, Nehemiah 4, excuse me, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 19, he says, I said to the nobles and officials, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there, and our God will what? Our God will what? Come on, tell me. He will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. What's he doing here? Again, he's reassuring the people that if a fight actually comes, they're going to be done, okay, all that can be done to win. They're going to rally together around the trumpet. And as they rally, he wants them to know that they're almighty and all-powerful God is going to fight for them. Now, when facing opposition, hear me now. Turn that volume up. Don't miss this. When facing opposition, there is one more step. You rely on God. You respect the opposition. You reinforce your weak points. You reassure the people. And number five, you refuse to quit. You refuse to quit. A winner never quits, and a quitter never wins. A winner never quits, and a quitter never wins. You refuse to quit. Now let's look at verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot, and that God had frustrated it, uh, he, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. Okay? Now my Christian brothers and sisters, don't miss this. You'll love this. Okay? The people knew. The people knew they had enemies. They knew they had critics. They knew who. They knew they were angry with them and who wanted them dead. And yet they kept right on keeping on. In other words, they refused to give up. They refused to give up and they refused to be distracted. It says they all returned to the wall. Wow. Powerful stuff. Brings back, it kind of pops in my faculties. Calvin Coolidge, you remember him. Calvin Coolidge once said, press on, press on. Nothing can take the place of persistence. Persistence paralyzes resistance. Persistence paralyzes resistance. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. I mean, isn't it? Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. He says persistence and determination alone are the over overwhelming power. Persistence and determination alone are the overwhelming power. Now, my Christian brothers and sisters, Nehemiah and his people knew this. And in verse 21, he says, he, we continue to work. They refuse to quit. And then he says, with half of the men holding spears from the first night of dawn till the stars came out at night. Okay. And brothers and sisters, that's a long time. At what time? I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay in Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and workmen by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. They were ready. Each had his weapon even when he went for a drink of water. 
my Christian brothers and sisters, did you hear that? What he said in the last verse. He said, we are setting the pace. We're being the prototypes as leaders. We're facing the same hardships and dangers as the people are. Here's another leadership law. Leaders model persistence. They model persistence. I wasn't just saying that. I'm serious. Persistence paralyzes resistance. They're the last to give up. And they're the last to give in. Now let me ask you. What does Satan want you to give up on? What does he want you to give up on? Reading through the Bible in a year, a career, a dream, a marriage, an idea, a ministry, what does Satan want you to give up on? Your small groups? My Christian brothers and sisters, if you know what he wants you to give up on, what should you do? What should you do? I hope you wrote down, keep going, Michael Crawford. Keep pressing on, Michael Crawford. Keep driving towards, Michael Crawford. Keep pushing towards and pressing towards God and the goal God has got you for. Why? Because. Because when you give up or give in, he wins. Satan wins. And we can't allow that. We just can't have that happen. And so one of the fundamental principles of the Christian life is to never, never, never give up. Never give up. You know, the more I read and hear about Winston Churchill, the more I admire his leadership because he was a leader that never, never, never gave up. During World War II, at a time when it looked as if all of England would be crushed under the iron fist of Hitler's Germany, he spoke these words and he said, We shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight in the seas and the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never, never, ever surrender. My Christian brothers and sisters, persistence is the ultimate test of leadership. It's the asset test. And so how do you handle it? How do you do? How do you handle it with the opposition? Really, when that opposition strikes, how do you handle it? When things get tough, how do you handle it? I'll tell you how to handle it. I'll tell you how it would be better. I'll tell you how Nehemiah handled it. First, he went to God on his knees. And then he went to work. And then he never, never, never gave up. My Christian brothers and sisters, when somebody laughs at you or they criticize you for doing God's work, it may hurt and it may even break your heart. But it can't stop you. Hear me now. Turn the volume up. It can't stop you unless you let it. Do you know what the secret of success is? It's outlasting your critics. Do you know how a little oak tree becomes a great big oak tree? It happens because a little nut refuses to give up his ground. My Christian brothers and sisters, there's nothing that the devil would rather do in your life and in mine than to stall us, than to put a barricade right in front of us and to stop us from completing what God has called us to do. And so resist him and resist his discouragement. How? By remembering who God is. He's the almighty, all-powerful God of the universe. And by remembering all that he's done for you, if you're a Christ follower, He's washed you clean. 
He's made you whole. He's given you life abundantly and, and life for eternity. He has adopted you into his family. He's made you his son or daughter. And he's given you his Holy Spirit to fill you with power and with his purpose. And so my Christian brothers and sisters, as you remember who God is and all that he's done, all that he's done for you, you'll have the power and the purpose to never, never, ever give up. Praise the Lord! Get excited! Oh! I'm telling you, the truth is, I don't know where or what you're tempted to give up right now. I really don't. For everybody that's tuned in, I don't. But I want to say this. I believe God wants to say at least three things to you this morning. I honestly feel that. Don't give up. Don't quit. And keep pushing forward. Hear me now. Everyone out there that's tuned in. I honestly feel that God wants you to know this. He does. Three things. Write it down. Don't give up. Don't quit. And keep pushing forward. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And all things are possible through Christ Jesus. So, you've got to remember. We've looked at some of the ways that Satan in our world opposes your work through ridicule. Organized resistance and rumors to discourage us. Lord, when we're discouraged, help us. Help us, Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, it's easy for us to get discouraged. Help us to recognize the cause. Whether it's fatigue, frustration, failure, or fear, help us to take the antidote to those things by trusting you and by remembering who you are and all that you've done for us. Oh, dear God, don't let us underestimate the opposition. Let us be prepared for the opposition. But also don't let us underestimate you. Instead, help us, Heavenly Father, reinforce our weak areas to the power of your Holy Spirit. And then help us to love and encourage the people we've placed around us. Dear Lord, most of all, when we're doing your work, help us to lean into your power and your purpose for our lives so that we will never, never, never give up. It's in this mighty name. I pray this knowing it won't come back void. I pray this in the mighty name of our Savior, Christ Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Tony, we got a few minutes left uh, before we close on the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast. Do me a favor. Uh, I love your response. I, You know, we're so blessed here. Rowan actually said it too about having a incredible producer like you which I already knew that right but we got a few minutes how a godly leader handles opposition how kind of uh, give your summation of, of the uh, the podcast today well I think you said it um, and I you know I was taking notes too I saw you that's why <laughs> why do you think I called on you <laughs> I saw you taking notes. I love it and, and you said something every time you build for God you're asking for a battle mm, it's true and it's it's obvious in in our life and our walk and whatever we do. Mm-hmm. Anytime we're doing something for God, anytime we're building for the kingdom, anytime we want to advance the kingdom by bringing a soul or something, we're asking for a battle. We are, and we really are. And that's a pretty powerful 
you know, um, that in Nehemiah, that he was he was building. He's a true say Lord soldier. I mean, he really is. I mean, yeah. he knew what God wanted to do, and it, it, I'm telling you, he was ne- never ever going to give up. He is the epitome of the persistence paralyzes resistance. You've heard me say it for yeah. years. That message was for somebody out there listening. Oh, it definitely was. You know, they, uh, your listeners, um, look forward to hearing the word from you. I love it hearing the word from you, and then Thank you, talk Tony. about it later. You know, but yeah. I love when I hear those. Uh, those messages because those I, I want to be able to inspire people mm-hmm. I want to be able to for people to understand and, and it's so true you know when I write something like that and, and I talk about real simple layman's terms about never ever giving up this is stuff that I've uh, actually motivated sales forces around the country for years exactly. for years so I kind of tr- tie that in to a sermon you know what I'm saying to a teach and preach not so much a sermon but a teach and preach and want people to comprehend uh, how powerful the our almighty powerful God is I mean it really is I don't know what I would do or what I ha- would have done in some market areas when Satan was attacking me like you wouldn't believe but you know Tony better than anybody I took it all to God and he just cleared out my enemies they were dropping out like flies and what did Nehemiah say he says our God will fight for us mm, I love that every time he talked you, you want to put this battle on. He was telling the people that our God will fight mm-hmm. for us. I love that so much. I really do. And, and you got to understand that, standing on that word, you know. Oh, it is. It's powerful. And a lot of people, I'm going to be very candid with you, I feel a lot of people, they're not really willing to stand on that word. But yet, they know they love God. But here's what I want to ask you without upsetting anyone out there listening do they really realize how much god loves them well if you're blinded no <laughs> i mean if you don't have if you have your blinders on no you're not going to know and and you know i mean you know what i'm saying yeah. how many people do you know that really do give up you know whatever, I mean, they give up you, you say it all the time you might be in some unfavorable circumstance mm, in your listen, life you, you might you know it, and it's we all have these unfavorable circumstances we do, we what do, we do? To get out of that, do yeah. we throw our hands up? Do we do we throw in the white towel? Well, you know, pr- no, powerful. we don't. No. We we go to the one source, the B I B L E, and we look for yeah. On Earth. yeah we that. look for the answer. Mm. We look for the answer because God is truth. Yeah. His word is truth. We won't go back void. Why I love this, preach, brother. Don't stop because what you just said there. So when you're ready to I give know, it's up, a reference to you know, the, the enemy is like, come on, you can come give on, up, yeah. come on. He's right there. And all of a sudden you turn and you go, yeah. you know what, there's something better. Yeah. And you dig in, you go after God, and you look for it. Yeah. And, and your answers are, are going to be there. You just got to really follow it, seek it. Do you, know one, of the, press in. Do you know one of the biggest things that, uh, that honestly that I pray for? I pray that God really makes me that. Uh, true, bona fide, sealed and delivered, say it, Lord, soldier, that when it's time where he calls me up and I have my home that Jesus prepared for me, that people say at my funeral, they do a eulogy, and honestly, and they, and they say this, I tell you, there were times where I wanted to quit, but Michael Crawford wouldn't let me. Michael Crawford reinforced. He grabbed my hand and even prayed with me. He said, let's take it to God, but let's never, ever, ever give up. 
yeah. will get will be highly favored. Will be highly favored. This is God's work. I remember seeing you in line uh, with the homeless, feeding them, and and you uh, you turned into the camera and you said, "This is only per- this is only temporary." Mm-hmm. Each and every one of us is a step away from being homeless. We are. And I don't care how much money you have. Let me tell you something. It's not your money. I'm going to tell you something. If one thing God has shown me, it's not my money. It never was. It's all God's. Right. And everybody else out there that's that's millionaires and billionaires, uh, corporations that are trillionaires like Apple and stuff, it's it's God's. It's God's. So don't think uh, that you're this eight-foot-tall monetary block, uh, you know, and bulletproof. Because if God wants to take it away from me, he will. Believe me. He will. So having said that, I really appreciate all of you tuning in today to the Michael Crawford Get Excited Show podcast on the Roan Doff Show. Uh, I love doing this podcast. I got to tell you, I really do. I uh, I love even studying and preparing for it. I think I enjoy preparing for it as much as uh, delivering it because it, it gets me really in tuned uh, to the word. Amen. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, the encouragement. Mm. You know, people that are listening, you know, they might need to hear this word and and this message and, and, and the fact don't give up. It's not it's not there for us to give up. Keep right. building, you know, put the people around you. And God gonna, rewards that, you know that, right? I mean, you need to, before we leave, we need to let everybody know, too. I, I mean, that's one thing that I am so aware of. God rewards persistent people. If he gives you a task and you don't give up, and, and I'm telling you, the more opposition that you face, the more roadblocks that's in front of you that you got to run through. And, and, and I know. I was looking at you this morning. You were going through your emails, and you, you get people that, that call you and just they need prayer, and you answer them and yeah. stuff like that. So, you know, uh, be encouraged to, to write to Michael, you know. Yeah. You know, How do I get hold of me? Get excited.crawford <laughs> at, at gmail.com. I love you. <laughs> but that's true. He is telling you the truth. So, uh, and I saw it, you. I saw you. You know, doing those and stuff like that. So, so we just ate. Yeah. I, I'm here for him. I really am. So get excited. I love you. And always remember, it's a Christ-minded attitude, not aptitude, that determines altitude. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I love you. That was an awesome message, Michael. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome, Tony Escobar. Thank you, sir. God bless you. And always remember. And really, I, I can't say it enough. You know, give it to God. Amen. If you'd like to contact Michael Crawford directly for prayer or encouragement, contact him on his private number at 623-203-8259 or send him an email at getexcited.crawford at gmail.com. Be free, be challenged, be encouraged, be inspired, and get excited with Michael Crawford. Your love.